0: Hello, Refuge Church, and welcome to Adult Sunday School. I'm so excited to continue our series on pleasing the Lord. I definitely want to be pleasing to the Lord. I don't want to come with an attitude that says, well, I only want to do enough, whatever is necessary for me to, uh, as some people would say, to make it to heaven. That's all I want to do. No, I want to have an attitude that says, I want to be pleasing to the Lord. And so we're going to look a little closer as at what it is to be pleasing to the Lord and to do justly. What is it to truly live and be just? And we have to, as disciples, choose to do justly, to act in a just way. Let's go ahead and pray before we begin. Lord, thank you for letting us be here in... um able to listen to this lesson wherever we are right now. And I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to teach your word. And I pray that you would help me to do that in a way that's pleasing to you today. In Jesus name. Amen. Our key scripture today is going to give you a little bit of insight into the story, the Bible story that we're going to be looking at. And it's Matthew chapter one, verse 19. And it says, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly or privately. Now, what we're going to talk about a little is uh, what it, what this uh, engagement that Mary and Joseph uh, were in. And, and so let's talk a little bit about Jewish marriage tradition in the first century. Um, when a couple decided to get married, it wasn't that quick like it is now it wasn't just that one decision, but there were several stages. first, there was a betrothal now, to establish a betrothal betrothal, a prospective groom would prepare a marriage contract to present to the woman that he wanted to be his bride this contract was not just presented to the bride but it was firstly presented to her father the contract included an amount of money uh, or something valued that the man was willing to pay as a compensation for the young to the young lady's parents for their expense in having raised her The amount the groom was willing to pay was also an indication of the quality of love he felt toward the young woman. Now, this sounds a little foreign to us now, but there are actually still places in the world where this kind of thing is very common. I know where I grew up in Swaziland in Southern Africa, men usually paid cattle for their bride. They would trade cattle for their brides. And uh, that is actually still a common practice. So it's the kind of thing we're talking about. Um, the young woman had the right in these Jewish betrothals to accept or reject the proposal. If she accepted, the two were then in covenant together. The future groom would give the young lady's father the agreed price and it would become official. And now the couple were betrothed to be married. There is a plan that they would be married. Now, before he left her home on this occasion, the young man would announce that he had an intention to build a home for his bride. And the groom would go back to his home, usually his father's house, and he would build an addition to this family home. And the addition was kind of a, a honey honeymoon room. It was the place that the bride and the groom would live during the early part of their marriage. <clears throat> Each step of the way, the groom was increasing his investment in this future marriage. He was getting the house ready. He had paid a price. Um, and he is preparing for his betrothed to come. And uh, be his wife. So the community around them is very aware of what's going on and that this couple is betrothed. Now the length of the betrothal was commonly around one year and during this year the couple would not have any close contact. At the most the future groom would see his bride from a distance and even then his fiance, his espoused, would be wearing a veil. Now, a young woman wearing a veil was in covenant. She was betrothed. This was the sign she was betrothed. The compensation for their marriage had already been paid to her father. She had been bought with the price, and her future husband was preparing a place for them to live. So this is, I'm setting the stage right now so you could understand what Mary and Joseph had already gone through by the time we meet them in our story and they are betrothed. So at the end of this long betrothal, the, the, what, the hopeful thing is that at the proper time and when everything had been completed, the groom would go to the home of the bride and take her to the place that he prepared. They were a married couple going forward in their life together. So this is the place that Mary and Joseph are in when we find them there right at the beginning of the New Testament. Now, Joseph, he's done all these things in pursuit of marrying Mary. He prepared a covenant. Mary and her father had agreed on Joseph's covenant. Joseph had paid the price, the bride price for Mary. And Joseph would have been busy building the place that he would eventually take his new bride. He had made a significant investment in the journey towards marriage, Joseph had. But then, of course, we know the story, the unexpected happened. Their betrothal was then very unusual. Because before Joseph and Mary came together in marriage, when this betrothal was still in the process, the Bible tells us that she was found with child. Now, in this day, being with child before marriage and the day that Joseph and Mary lived and this was not normal. Mary had gone on an extended journey to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And here she comes back. And people may have thought when they looked at her and saw that she was with child, that something inappropriate had happened during her visit. Joseph probably would have experienced dismay and frustration like any other man because when he learns of her condition he is he doesn't know about god's plan he doesn't understand how god is going to use mary in a very unique way because he hasn't been told yet now we know that later on an angel of the lord would inform joseph of the miracle that was taking place within mary but before he heard From the angel, before he was let in on the secret, the Bible tells us, it speaks of Joseph. In the scripture that we read, in Matthew 1.19, it says that he was a just man. Now, because he was a just man, the Bible says he did not want to make her a public example, but he was minded to put her away secretly. Joseph is denoted here as a just man, even before he has an encounter with an angel from the Lord. See him being called just was not based on his behavior. Later when he took Mary as his wife, acting as though nothing had happened, Joseph was unique. He didn't need an angelic visitor to be just. Joseph was reasonable and he was just and in choosing To respond, we see that trait in him. When Joseph learned that Mary was pregnant, he had, according to the custom and the law that he lived in, several options of what he could do about it. See, the couple was far enough along in their journey toward marriage that ending it would require a bill of divorce. Improper sexual behavior by a betrothed woman was viewed as adultery. It was as though they were already married. And Mary's pregnancy was a serious matter with the potential for some very painful and harsh consequences. We find in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, that under Jewish law, the punishment for adultery was death by stoning. Death by stoning was also inflicted when sexual misconduct was by someone betrothed to be married, betrothed to be married like Mary and Joseph were. In Mary's case, the punishment under the law of Moses could have been death in public, painful and humiliating, a stoning. But Joseph also had other options. He could have spread the story of Mary's unfaithfulness to him. He could have demanded that Mary's father refund the money that he had already invested in this marriage. Human nature, being what it is, the the truth is that many people would have been happy to repeat the story if Joseph would have told one person it wouldn't have been long before the whole entire city that they lived in such gossip it would have made it very difficult if not impossible for Mary to ever be chosen by another man a third option that Joseph might have he could have stoned her he could have spread this story around so that she had no hope of a future and a third option that Joseph had was that um if a man had seduced or violated Joseph's bride to be under the the Mosaic law that they lived in, the man who had done this would have been responsible to marry Mary, to care for her, to take her on. We know that this is not, of course, what they did. And And the fourth option for Joseph was to divorce Mary. Now, when divorce happened, it was normal to list the reason for the divorce and witnesses would be called to testify about the rationale for the divorce. Such a divorce became a public affair and anybody who loved to gossip would have talked about it for several days. A fifth option, the one chosen by Joseph, this just man, was, as the Bible says, to put Mary away privately. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, Joseph was most likely planning to divorce Mary without giving a specific reason for ending their betrothal. He was going to keep her secret. He was going to uh, let her reputation stand. Despite what Joseph certainly viewed as moral failure, he was not willing to shame Mary before their community. In his decision, Joseph, not yet in on what God was doing, showed himself to be just. You see, he was going to suffer loss. At the very least, he would lose the time and the effort that he had built, put into building the place that he would live. And regardless, this, his loss did not, did not propel him to become mean. See, any person who enjoys shaming, degrading or uh, putting down others, sometimes that's what they'll do. They want to do whatever they can to put people away. And, you know, we we want to stay away from such people, not just in the sense if something bad were to happen. Um, that we were involved in, we wouldn 't want others talking about it, but in the same way if if it has nothing to do with us, but we know that there 's someone who loves to spread a tale or spread gossip, we need to stay away from such people we don 't need to listen to an unjust person's snarkiness their stories uh, their opinions about what is going on and and if you must listen the author of the lesson says this if you must listen because you would have to do something as extreme as jump out of an airplane to escape the person's voice never repeat what you hear know that what you say to an unjust person will be less than good When repeated, they are going to repeat it And, and, and maybe they'll even twist it and you will be made to look like a liar or an unjust person or an uncaring person. And you better believe that an unjust person, whether your friend or your enemy, will in time treat you unjustly, too. Now, we're talking about uh, someone being unjust in the way that gossip is spread or in their accusations of others. And these items mentioned to describe an unjust person and their willingness to spread gossip remind me of the one that we call the accuser of the brethren and we know that is our enemy the devil and if you are willing or you know someone who is willing always willing to be an accuser of the brethren like satan is then i want you to know that you or that person has aligned themselves with satan we don't want to be unjust in this way where we become accusers of our brothers and sisters Can you imagine if Mary had been betrothed to a cruel, vindictive man? In the cruel man getting his revenge, Mary might have died in disgrace. She might have been stoned to death and ending her young life. Instead, Mary was a spouse to a man who the Bible tells us was just. Joseph did not allow anger or disappointment to motivate him to sudden action. Joseph's emotions did not determine what he would do. Instead of adding weight to the unmarried pregnant woman's difficulty, Joseph made the decision. Before even knowing all the facts, he decided that he would protect Mary from further defaming within the community. Joseph was being just. He was making the most gracious decision possible in a very difficult situation. And in time, the angel of the Lord would give Joseph more information. And with the information provided by the angel, Joseph, of course, does not divorce Mary at all. But instead, Joseph continues in their marriage contract, marrying Mary, taking her as his wife. Joseph, being a just man, acted in a just way. He was not a bully. He didn't want to further harm the woman that he he wanted to marry. Those who do justly seem to try to make the best even out of the worst situation. Their reactions to life are seldom uh, quickly made or knee-jerk responses. Joseph, being just, made a plan to protect Mary from the humiliation of a public divorce to eliminate the need for public witnesses to Mary's pregnancy and to keep her from being punished in a public stoning. The New Testament word just that we read has a similar definition to the Hebrew word that is translated in the same way as the word just. And we know that the Old Testament is written in Hebrew and the New Testament is written in Greek. And so these words in both the Hebrew and the Greek, in the Old and the New Testament, uh, mean the same thing, to be equitable. They mean to be even-handed or to be reasonable. In our last lesson, we talked about who Micah was. If you remember, we were talking about the the prophet Micah and the time in which he prophesied what the major themes of his writings were. And that was in our last lesson about pleasing the Lord. Micah chapter 6 includes nine questions that were intended to provoke thought. Micah attempted to give his audience a clear picture of what God really wanted from them, what really pleased him. And God's message was prompted because the people of Judah were serving God in public, but they were serving idols in the background or in private. And this is what Micah says and brings to the people in Micah chapter six, verses six through eight. It's a reminder from last week. He says, wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul he hath showed me O man what is good and what doth the lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy god this is a very different picture than what people that were worshiping idols were seeing Micah's insight for Israel said that God had showed them what was good and what was required. And it wasn't that they give their firstborn as was required of of the idols. It wasn't that they do penance or anything uh, of that nature to harm themselves so that they could repay what their sin had cost. No, Micah said that God asked them to do justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. In the King James Version, the Hebrew word translated justly in Micah 6, 8 can actually be translated into 32 different English words, and we find them elsewhere in the Bible. The idea of doing justly, it was a judicial verdict, like in a a court system, whether the verdict was favorable or unfavorable. In formal Hebrew, doing justly was to communicate a formal decree responding to an act or a crime. In daily use, it can be broken down like this. Being just was to be consistently fair to others. Jeremiah chapter 22 gives an example of doing justly. The story was that Jeremiah was sent to speak to Zedekiah, the king of Judah. Zedekiah was not really in a place of ultimate authority at the time because the Babylonian empire had had the world power then, and he essentially just governed Judah on behalf of the Babylonian empire. However, because he led a rebellion against Babylon, Zedekiah's future did not play out well. When events in Jeremiah 22 took place, Zedekiah was the most influential person in Judah. So Jeremiah, the prophet, came to Zedekiah with a word from God. These instructions exemplify what it is to do justly. Thus saith the Lord, execute ye judgment and righteousness, and deliver the spoiled out of the hand of the oppressor, and do no wrong, do no violence to the stranger, to the fatherless, nor the widow, neither shed innocent blood in this place. And the word judgment here is the same word translated to do justly in Micah. Notice the practical instructions to Zedekiah. Deliver the spoil. This refers to those being taken advantage of or bullied. He was to deliver them out of the hand of of their oppressor. And then do no wrong or violence to the stranger or the resident alien among you. There is guests there in their country that may not know the present customs or the expected behavior. And if these strangers were to violate some social norm, he was told not to harm them in any way. And then do no wrong or violence to those who have no father or to a widow. Orphans and widows were relatively unprotected there and they had no person to watch out for them, and he was told to do that, and then he was told not to shed innocent blood. According to Jeremiah, doing justly was the response God wanted his people to make toward these three classes of people. Anyone being threatened, hurt, or bullied, a stranger who is not familiar with Israelite customs, or orphans and widows. Though being just certainly has to do with being fair to other people, the admonition by Jeremiah took being just a step further than just being fair. God's people were to actively rise to support, to assist, and to defend those that were being mistreated by others, to act justly, always has to do with how we deal with other people. We cannot separate our dealings with other people from our relationship with God. We're not able to have a relationship upward toward God while at the same time being unjust toward our fellow man. Makes sense. Unjust people are unfair. They never give another person the benefit of a doubt. Up until 50 years ago, Meat and produce were weighed on an open scale. And this is a good example of uh, a small example of being unjust. Now, now when meat was weighed on an open scale, it gave shopkeepers the opportunity to short a customer by maybe putting a finger on the scale when something was being weighed. And they would be taking advantage of those shoppers. And this was being unjust. Those who are unjust will always make decisions for their own benefit, selfish decisions, decisions that will benefit them. Some malicious souls find satisfaction in bringing harm to other people. People with a sense of entitlement often act unjustly. Such people do not want life to be fair. They want life to give them an undeserved advantage. Entitled people will say, well, I am being mistreated, when in reality they're being treated like everyone else. They feel that whatever happens is always someone else's fault. Unjust people, they're like the man with the beam in his eye that we read about in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. It says, judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So whatever ruler you're using to judge others, that is your ruler of judgment for your own life. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank or the beam in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye. And look, a plank is on your own eye. Hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. They will excuse their own behavior while they condemn that of others, those that act unjustly. By contrast, just people. Seek to protect other people from humiliation. Just people do not gossip. They are not tailbearers. Just people do not see themselves as the evaluators of the brethren. Instead, they are looking to excuse others. Micah's phrase, the prophet, do justly, shows God's requirement about our treatment of other people. Not only making sure we do not harm others but also rising to protect others. I love when the Bible gives us these several examples. I mean, so far we've looked at the story of Joseph, who the Bible calls a just man. We've looked at how the prophet Micah tells us that we must be just. And we've looked at how Jeremiah gave specific instructions on how to act justly to Zedekiah. And and when we look at all these things, we see a full picture of what it is to be just and it's going above and beyond it's it's when we treat others in a just way and we protect others that maybe cannot protect themselves there's a story that the author of this lesson ends with and it it goes like this henry and al were the first two african-american children to become part of an all-white school in the deep south The two youngsters experienced much injustice. Across America, schools had been segregated for many generations. The separation had been so complete that many children had never spoken to a child of another race or culture. In 1967, in an effort toward voluntary desegregation, the U.S. Department of Justice approved the freedom of choice, which allowed every family to choose the school where their child would attend. However, not a single child changed schools. But in 1968, the parents of Henry and Al chose to send their sons to a school that had previously been an all-white school. Al was in the sixth grade, and he was a classmate to Charles. These two young boys had been placed in a hard situation. In the deep south in the late Sixties. few, if any, fellow students acted as though they wanted Henry or Al there. And the same could be said about the teachers and the administration of the schools that Henry and Al were going to. Henry and Al showed up on the first day of school, completely surprising the student body. And when the two boys arrived, the kids stood in shocked silence and the news spread quickly that integration had arrived. Now, their classmate, Charles, that I spoke about earlier, when he got home from school that day, his mom wanted to talk to him. And she said, son, I know you now have black kids at school. Charles, let me tell you something. You are not going to be mean to those two boys. You will not call them names. You are not going to mistreat them or anyone else. And if you do, it will be rough on you. The lesson was taken to heart, and 11-year-old Charles never did anything to harm Henry or Al. In the simplest sense of the word, he was just towards the boys. But was he really just in the way that the Lord has described throughout this lesson? Henry and Al suffered a lot that year. Racial slurs were the norm toward them. Sharp elbows to the gut on the basketball course were the regular. Al was shunned in the locker room, and no other boy wanted a locker near theirs. At each meal and at recess, these two boys sat alone. But their family was determined, and Al and Henry stuck it out that year. They stayed throughout the 1968 school year, but they did not come back for 1969. It might be said that Charles did what his mother asked him to do. He didn't call Henry and Al names. He didn't tackle Al extra hard on the football field or throw elbows on the basketball court. He did what he was asked. He did well. But, but did he really act justly? Is that what God would have required? Because to do justly is not simply the absence of being unfair or unkind or choosing not to treat another in an evil way. To do justly is to actively rise to the defense and support of someone being bullied or taking advantage of. Eleven-year-old Al was certainly bullied and friendless for the nine months of the school year. And by God's definition of doing justly, Charles' behavior was lacking. He followed his mother's instruction. But to do justly would have been meant going a little farther than just not being mean. But it would have meant maybe sitting beside them at lunch or engaging them in conversation, befriending them when they were alone. Doing justly. It's really not the norm, even in our modern society. To join an attack on social media happens far more often than you would hear a voice to defend or something encouraging. At times, teams teens have become social piranhas nibbling at a peer until they drive their schoolmate to suicide, and we've heard those stories in the news. There are many people in society being treated unkindly. And where are those? Who will do justly. Who will rise to assist, to protect, to befriend those who cannot protect themselves. If you want to please God. If you want Him to consider you just. It goes beyond just not doing anything unfriendly or unkind. But to do justly goes a step beyond that. To become a defender of those who are being mistreated. To stand for those who can't stand for themselves. Let's pray. Lord, help us today to take your word and to let it be planted deeply in our hearts and minds. We want to be pleasing to you, Lord. We want you to help us. We want your hand to be upon us, and we want you, Lord God, to consider us just. We want to please you, and we want to be just as you have asked us to. Thank you for everyone that's listening, and I pray that your hand will be upon them as they have listened to this lesson. In Jesus' name, amen.